United States of Lead is an informative podcast that may contain sensitive material and the occasional F-bomb. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the United States of Lead. This week, we are going to continue with our series on lead-blooded Americans by focusing on one of the most notorious serial killers in history, Gary Ridgway. As we've mentioned before, when we focus on individuals in this series, much of what we discuss is only based on speculation and drawing parallels between the information we have on the effects of lead poisoning and the cases we are looking at. Because as we've mentioned, lead testing and lead awareness isn't really a top agenda worldwide. <laughs> or maybe it's cover-up is uh, more important than, than the eradication, because the eradication would just be so darn expensive. Touche. So for those of you not familiar with Gary Ridgway and his horrific crimes, we're going to give you a little backstory. Also known as the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway is the, quote, deadliest convicted serial killer, and he claimed to have killed as many as 80 women, many of whom are prostitutes, in Washington during the 1980s and 90s, although he pled guilty to only 48 murders, according to Britannica.com. I know it's so dumb that we glorify serial killer names or serial killers with nicknames, but I want to note that the reason he got his nickname, the Green River Killer, is because many of his victims were found along the Green River in Washington. I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's like, we need to stop giving serial killers these cool names like the Night Stalker and Green River Killer and like give them, you know, Mr. Pee Pee Pants or something like stupid. Tiny Needle Dick Boy. Yeah. Because <laughs> all of his murders were near the Space Needle. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you can still have it referenced to like the location, but not make it cool. That's a good point. I also want to note that there is a good documentary on Tubi right now. It's called Sins of the Father, the Green River Killer. And it actually features Amanda Jacobson from Wine and Crime, and I highly recommend it. Plus, Tubi is a free app, so I'm also glad that I know about it now. <laughs> and while watching this documentary is when the light bulb in my head really went off to look into Ridgeway a little bit further. He's always been a person that I wanted to look at because of just how unbelievable his crimes are. But when I heard that he worked in the paint department at a truck manufacturing company, I knew that we really needed to dedicate some time into looking into this. So I don't really know a lot about him. I'm guessing he just picked people up and as he was driving around, is that? 
that yeah name? and it's and it's also very specific and we'll get okay. to that too okay. about like who he picked up oh okay honestly i didn't know about him until i listened to it on wine and crime and which is kind of crazy because you know ted bundy it's okay. like ted bundy right and i feel like i know about him yeah or John Wayne Gacy. He's I, the clown guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For having the highest count, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's a lot that Ted Bundy, they don't know whether or not he did. Also, that's something I want to note is all of these serial killers are known serial killers. If you look at how many unsolved murders there are in the United States, there could be people who are way worse that just aren't getting caught. Were we talking about this off offline? Were we just talking about this about like killer zero theory? Like if there was just someone in a, in, in a like a truck who drove around and had and their MO was not to have an MO. Yeah. They intentionally never did anything. Because their ego wasn't attached to the killing. It was just about the act of killing. It was ritualistic, like instead of like fetishistic or this need to be to be seen or acknowledged. Yes, yeah. It was like. Mm-hmm the act of doing it is what it is the acknowledgement. If they just didn't have an M- MO. Yeah, they purposefully made each one different. Completely unique. And that was what made it special. I feel like there is somebody too who got caught who was like that. But wow. I'm going to have to look further into it. Because that's something too, like, I mean, obviously we're going to be looking at people who have gotten caught. <laughs> so that like our links that we're connecting, there's so many unsolved murders. We There's probably a lot more links we could make that we just don't know about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, from Britannica.com, quote, Ridgeway grew up in what became SeaTac, Washington. His father was a Metro bus driver and his mother a sales clerk. Ridgeway was born in 1949, so leaded gas was the gas of choice while he was growing up. He was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and his family moved to Washington in 1960. Uh, not much is noted about his first 11 years of life. In the articles that I found. So there's that much I can do in relation to where specifically he lived during those first years of development. And quite a few articles point to the possible child abuse he was subjected to. Sure. Which would also cause issues with development. Uh, You know, we talk about how lead exposure rewires your brain. Well, so does abuse. Britannica.com notes, quote, Ridgway later claimed that his mother engaged in inappropriate behavior. Notably, he alleged that after wetting the bed, a habit that persisted into his early teens, she would wash his genitals, end quote. Bedwetting, especially at that age as a, a teenager, definitely a big red flag for abuse, as well as a precursor for future violent tendencies. There were other red flags, such as arson and harming animals, that are considered predictive to violent tendencies and more specifically serial offenses. And these three factors are known as the McDonald triad. The reason I'm noting this is we have also discussed how lead exposure increases criminal activity. SeaTac gets its name because it is, quote, derived from the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. We have also seen how the exposure from living near an airport is dramatically increased. So and more sp- I know. <laughs> and more specifically, Ridgeway was, quote, raised near Seattle's Pacific Highway in a deprived neighborhood near the SeaTac Airport, end quote. So not only was he living near an airport, he was living near a highway when leaded gas was at its heyday 
and in most likely low income housing. If we were had a bingo card, we'd probably be able to call bingo by now. That's a bingo. And we're just getting started. So Ridgway's first shocking crime came in the mid-1960s when he stabbed a six-year-old boy after luring him into the woods. The victim would later state that Ridgway said, quote, I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone and then walked away laughing. We got some apathy happening here. Yeah. If you can just, as a teenager lure a six-year-old in the woods, stab him, and have literally no emotions to that. Well, also, he's really bad at it. And got away with it. (laughs) But he didn't kill that person, right? Since that person later told the tale. So, you know. Yeah. Pretty interesting. that You think that would put him on some sort of radar for, like, having to monitor? Yeah, I feel like there's a whole story there that... I really want to hear about how did that six-year-old boy find help and what was the story that was told about, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then what happened to Ridgeway? Like, was it like boys will be boys stuff or? From what I read, I didn't see the consequences of that. Well, clearly, like, otherwise that would be, there was something, there was a big yeah, lack, there was something that was a lack something. of something. Yes. Yeah. That was, meh, you know, yeah. knives are sharp. They're gonna. <laughs> boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Knives will be cut. <laughs> Nice will be knifey. A&E says, although Ridgway struggled academically, he was held back two grades in high school, end quote. And so here now we have the connection to mental decline. A&E states that his IQ level was in the low 80s. And we have already mentioned how lead exposure and poisoning is specifically linked to lower IQ scores. So add another one to our bingo card. I feel like we're on our second bingo card at this point. Britannica goes on to say, quote, after graduating from high school in 1969 at the age of 20, Ridgway served a two-year stint in the U.S. Navy, end quote. Now, we have discussed briefly about military personnel exposure to lead via ammunition and other weapons made with lead. However, I hadn't thought to look up the U.S. Navy until now. And, well... From an article published in 2014, quote, the military still uses lead-based paint in many cases for its durability. The farther back your service, the more likely you were exposed to lead paint. However, even recent sailors, airmen, and soldiers were likely exposed, end quote. So like at this point, it's just a literal content, like this constant exposure for him. Like yeah. I said, we can't speculate to the first 11 years because I couldn't find anything other than like they moved to Washington when he was that age. You know, we're making like this disclaimer. I think we're describing probably hundreds of thousands of people grew up in this condition and experienced mm-hmm. this and then went to this. And it's probably mm-hmm. it's quite a number of people that have experienced that followed that same path. But I still think it's valuable that you're pointing this out, like you're pointing out these influences. And then I think we're asking the question of like, is there a connection? We're not doing like forensic. No, we can only speculate because we we don't know what his levels are. Right. But we can say from lead research that there is a link between lower IQ scores. And even though it might have, there might be more than just, or like we're describing more than one person in this that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be more than this pattern of behavior wouldn't follow other people who had the same thing you know they just may not be to the same degree as 
Yes. And that's why I want to like, that's where I touch on all of the different factors together. How I theorize it as more of an accelerant that kind of just makes this like, you know what I mean? It's already flammable. But yes. And like, it depends on when you're exposed to it. So if you're exposed in your first six years, it's literally rewiring your brain. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're exposed later in life, your brain is already wired. You're probably able to more successfully control the side effects. Like, it's like we said, you know, even with self-regulation, like if you're taught self-regulation and during childhood development, it's not saying that these emotions don't pop up in people. It's not saying that this anger doesn't just come to the front of your head, but whether or not you act on it might make a difference on whether or not you got self-regulation wired into your brain during childhood development. And then let's say you had childhood trauma and your brain's already rewired from childhood trauma, which doesn't allow you to self-regulate. And then you add this onto it. It's like, it's just, it's, you know, the red string theory. Oh, Um, And that's what makes it so problematic is there's so many things pointing to why we shouldn't have this in our society. And like, we shouldn't have to go to this extent to like try and make a case for it. But here we are. There's so many factors and there's so many people exposed to lead who don't have these symptoms, but, or have these links, but like, I'm trying to compare it to something else. Oh, like, you know, somebody who grew up in a, an abusive relationship, like with their parents, were abusive doesn't mean that they're going to be an abuser later in life. Yeah, I was but, exposed to basketball as a child, but I'm not a professional basketball player. Yeah, there's like there's the, the, the condition, the biological and social conditions didn't didn't lead to me making millions of dollars playing basketball. I mean, that's not everyone is going to be affected the same way. Yeah, but, the probability statistics I know are problematic, but like when it comes to if something is more likely to happen because of this, well, then we should probably take a look at it. You know? Oh, I'm totally down with that. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I, I, I hope I was just trying to point that out. It's like, yeah, no, I'm, oh. I'm not explaining that for you. I'm explaining it for yeah. viewers that like, we can only speculate, but, but it's, it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate speculation. I think it's, I mean, at this point he has literally been exposed to lead his entire <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> and like I said, we're not even, I shouldn't say, because again, we don't know the first 10 years of his, or 11 years of his childhood, which is also very strange that there's not information about their life in in Salt Lake City. I didn't want to bring that up because I thought maybe you were going to bring something up later on. but like I couldn't find it. The idea that, I mean, this is a deeply researched topic, and I'm certain that more than one sociologist or profiler or someone has sat down with this person in a controlled setting and asked a lot of really probing personal questions and for that information not to be just googleable that's yeah like what weird. caused you to move your family when he was 11 you, so is he a mormon actually i don't know that's a good question though but yeah i didn't see anything about that and he was in salt yeah. lake city or in it says that he was born in salt lake city yeah, okay. and that his family moved to uh washington when he was 11 for those 11 years, that's all the information that I saw. Also, too, if anybody does know, please write into United States of Lead at gmail.com because we are extremely interested to know. But even with not knowing that information, like so far, everything has led to yeah. that rise, you know. And the other thing, too, I want to point out is as far as like the abuse, it's connected to him, right? With his mom and 
but I didn't see anything connected to if whether or not his other siblings were being abused. So if he was the only one being abused, and like I said already, like if his brain is being rewired from childhood trauma, Mm-hmm. Like the other kids getting exposed to lead, we were just talking about like if your brain is wired to handle certain mental effects of lead exposure, it does make a difference. After Ridgeway's time in the Navy, he moved to the Seattle area where he worked as a truck painter. More specifically, he worked at the Kenworth truck plant in Renton, Washington. So not only did he work at a vehicle manufacturing plant, which we have already checked as being a very high exposure risk of lead, he worked in the paint department. If I do my math right, that means he started in 1971. Wow. It's like again at the heyday of lead exposure. And I know we've already mentioned too how other podcasts have theorized the link between leaded gas in the 70s and serial killers. And as we've noted, it's not just gas, but that we have noted too, though, that 100% of inhaled lead is absorbed, whereas with ingesting it, it's 30 to 70%. So just how bad could that exposure have been? Well, in 2011, there was an article published regarding, quote, production ramping up at the Kenworth truck plant. And what is most notable in this article is, quote, the company said the plant uses a great deal of technology to make production more efficient and less dangerous. Most of the painting is done robotically, but workers in ventilated full coverage suits still do prep work, end quote. Now, to the best of my knowledge, precautions with the full coverage ventilated suits wasn't something that was done prior to the revitalization of the plant. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't working back then uh, or breathing, but uh, I do know it took a long time for people to put uh, wear helmets while they ride a bike. Even uh, seatbelts. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I remember when seatbelts were became a law, and it was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'll just hold myself real quick. Like, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I like to do. Yeah, you I, know that's a good comparison too, though. That idea with seatbelts, like, because we've talked about how our system is not set up for preventative care. Like right. mentally, physically, right. judicially, nothing is set up for preventative measures. That is always my go-to is you wear a seatbelt because it's a preventative measure. The chances of you actually getting in a crash aren't that good, but you still wear your fucking seatbelt. It's the yeah. law <laughs> because of that. And I'm also just, I'm thinking of some restaurants that like, like that I've worked at or some restaurants that we might've worked at together and noting how infrequent some regulations were followed. So it's like, oh, if we were going to change this water every four hours, or if we were going to throw these things out once they were, you know, set at the station every 90 minutes, we would have gone through a lot more stuff than we went through. And we did not do that. Like, I know we didn't throw out those fruits every it just didn't happen so like mm-hmm. and then once i've actually started working for an outfit or an organization or like um like in construction seeing how much ppe is actually used yeah uh it's a significant cost so i i mean side note though i had the nickname of being the side work nazi mm-hmm. at rock bottom because i did actually follow all the <laughs> And then I'm how much pushback for my own personal credit. And how and how much pushback did you have? And how often did you have to act aggressively? 
I mean, if you got that nickname, it's not from, it's not because you were the, the rule, it's because you were the exception, but you were, that's fine. So that's my point is like the fact that you got that nickname, the fact that you were. Shows how many people would would, not follow. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I really wasn't even that bad. It was just like. No, it wasn't. I'm just, just. Just fill the sugars. Just check the pepper and the salt and fucking fill it. Don't fluff the pepper. Mm-hmm. Try and make it look full. I'm going to bang it on the counter and show that you're not doing your side work. I should really run this country. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 2024, vote for me. It's better than 80-year-old people that are running. Okay, so now we've talked about, obviously, if they're replacing people with robots because it's safer, mm-hmm. it shows just how bad the working conditions were when he was working for the plant. And he did work for Kenworth for 30 years. So if he started, okay, if he started in night, hold on. So he started in 1971 and it said he worked for 30 years. 71 to 81, 81 to 91, 91 to 2001. Okay. That was 2011 when they started the PR of like, we're revamping, which also connects to when he was busted, which I didn't think about before. Hold on. When when was that? Let me just hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, no, that's why he only worked for 30 years. Because Okay, so he was caught in 2001. Um, one second, though, because he didn't get... Yeah, 2011 is when he was charged with murder. Okay. So he was caught and See, but that's the thing, too, is, like, he was always a suspect. Like, he met with the cops so much and always offered for help in finding... Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And... <laughs> he met with them after he was caught? Or he... So he, he, would, he was... A suspect, like they had pulled him over once, like back in the eighties, and he would come in like wanting to help catch this guy and offer his help to, you know, obviously like throw them off his. He even took a a lie detector test and passed. Like we know how inconsistent those results are, but he took one of those tests and would come in like, hey, if you guys need any help, just uh, give me a shout out. So there was a murder, and yeah. he's like, he- I can help you with this. Not the initial one, but after he had been a suspect, came in for a tat, lie detector test, like they showed that he, well, it's not him. Well, if you guys need any help catching this guy, just let me know. Like, that's how it, it's pretty bonkers. And actually, you know, the show Mindhunter? I watched a few, a few episodes, yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. But yeah, it is really I'm also good. obsessed with Jonathan Groff. He's like one of my favorite people. <laughs> but uh, it, it shouldn't have been canceled. Well, and it wasn't canceled. Okay. David Fincher, he had another project that conflicted. Then he was like, I don't know if I want to bring it back, but it sounds like he's back on board with bringing it back. Because like, I don't, I think he wanted to make sure that he had time to, which good for him, caring about it that much that you want it to be. David Fincher can make whatever he wants. I'm I'm, I'm, on board. He was formally charged in 2011. Okay. This PR for the new revitalized Kenworth plant was also in 2011. So just a little backstory on the Kenworth truck plant that I also found while doing some research. From the state of Washington's Department of Ecology, quote, PACAR, which was formerly the PACAR Defense Systems, and this is the where the plant is, makes Peterbilt and Kenworth trucks and formerly owned by Ailes Auto Parts. The company began on the Renton site in 1907 as Pacific Car and Foundry making rail cars. 
They made Sherman tanks in World War II and fabricated the legs of the Space Needle. It's kind of funny that we were just talking about the Space Needle. When the rail car business declined, they started making military vehicles. Packard decommissioned that facility in 1988, and the site was placed on the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's National Priorities List on February 21st, 1990. Though that whole area is clearly fucking toxic. We talked about the place that John Oliver exposed, where those low-income housings are in Illinois. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that was an actual lead smeltering factory and they built those houses on it so i just found that an interesting connection and like i said this quick revamping of everything's robotics and everything's more for the worker and blah 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 it's like did they know so in addition to knowing how to buy secondhand objects or how to test your uh, uh, your your home or kind of test your work environment mm-hmm. um how would we even know about a place like this how do we negotiate how do we travel through areas like this how do we find out about them do we eat while we're near them how do we evaluate property adjacent to these sites like i don't know why this isn't something that we we can know <laughs> I mean, that place two down south where John Oliver discussed, you know, where the like the cemetery is in the like surrounding of that manufacturing company. And that guy saying, you know, like, I can't sell my house to somebody else knowing that this is going to kill them. Again, falling on the individual. So when did his murderous spree begin? Well, according to Britannica.com, quote, In 1980, Ridgway was arrested for allegedly choking a prostitute, but no charges were filed after he claimed that the woman had bit him. Two years later, he was arrested for solicitation. Ridgway was believed to have begun his killing spree shortly after, end quote. All I could think about at this point was your point about the foundation of America, and you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. Oh, interesting. He got busted for that. Okay. And that set him off. So is this who he kills now? Yep. Oh, wow. So the act of getting caught seems to have set him off. And it is noted that his parents, specifically mom, was very harsh with punishment when it came to wrongdoings when he was a child. So he's already triggered by this act of getting caught and the Mm -hmm. repercussions of getting caught. And Mm -hmm. now he's an adult. And now he's, again, like, we know that lead accumulates in the body. He has had decades of accumulation of lead exposure too. This is also just a creepy side note, but I just had to share it while I was researching. From an article published by The Grunge, quote, he kept no trophies, but if his victims were wearing jewelry, he did take it and then he would leave it in the Kenworth Motor Truck plant in the women's bathroom. And this is him saying, quote, My favorite thing was maybe if someone's walking around with a piece of that jewelry that they found in a bathroom, end quote. Wow. Yeah. Like, I just, holy, yeah. That's really scary. I know. Oh, oh, wow. Um, And that's really powerful. He can disassociate himself. Yeah. And his trophy then becomes the moving world. Yeah, and that disassociation, too, when people go into those states, states of uncontrollable anger, apathy, there's disassociation. 
-hmm. you begin to master that disassociation and completely split. He started when he was a teenager with, I mean, and who knows how much earlier too, like if he was torturing animals, that was already a precursor, but I'm sure like that empathy just faded away in a sense, but it's also worth noting. He had, he was married three times, had a kid. He lived a family life. It's not like he was some creeper lone, like, you know, the quote lone wolf. Like he was Joe Schmo, like family guy. So this is a really, I don't know, provocative, creepy thing for me to say, but uh, (laughs) go on. So uh, if you cut this, I totally understand. Um, Uh One of the most interesting things I got to look at in my religious studies degree was something called Blutschaden, and it means blood crime. And there was a whole series of literature in Nazi Germany about raping Jews to like purify them. And that was a kind of way to love them. So you would would rape and kill them. And then, and there were books, there was like a romance. It would be like a romance novel that was purchased in Germany. What were the origins? That's so interesting you say that because right before that, this Blutschaden was a direct connection to something that was incest romance. And the idea was that I'm going to show that I love this person who is of me, Mm -hmm. which it's so wrong to love them. I'm going to go past that taboo, which is wrong, which makes it so right. Like I'm pushing through this social convention to demonstrate how powerful my love is for this thing that is connected to me. There's a whole series of, like you could buy these novels, you could buy these these stories. And then that same sort of like, this was a blood crime, the same sort of notion moved into Jews and Aryans. Mm-hmm. And so this person, uh, what is her name? Vaughn, who's the father of uh, Rockets? Doesn't matter. She's brilliant, brilliant professor, but she, her theory was that a precursor to this. Werner von Braun? Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun. Yeah. Werner von Braun. Yeah. She was the daughter of, of the Nazi scientist who was writing about how bad Nazis are. And her theory is that a precursor to this fascist explosion is this kind of blutschaden literature where you're able to disassociate yourself from this activity and then associate with this amorphous i'm going to do this thing that's so wrong and then there's a reason the for it allows that for the it, better good yeah allows it to be right so i'm just getting a, a lot of vibes with that, those vibes with that Schaden, what did you call it you're gonna have to hear some typing here because those vibes are going to be really prevalent i mean we've already talked about the mega link with flood exposure if you're being fed these sort of narratives and we've also talked about, too, the people who are crying out for all this, the wrongdoings of, you know, grooming and this and that, like, they're the ones doing it. So the other weird, crazy thing is um, if you go on Pornhub, there's a dramatic increase in incest porn. Isn't that illegal? It's fantasized. Oh, oh, so like, it's like a woman pretending to be the daughter. Right. Oh, oh. Fucking Stepdad. Gross. Oh. I mean, I never saw that when I was a kid. I never... It's, this is all new. No, I know what you're talking about. Like, cause yeah, like there's like the, like girls who call their significant other daddy, which is just so fucking disturbing. It's a whole category on websites. So (sighs) it was not a thing in the back, like 
I'm not a fan of Freud. I know you know that. He is noted as saying that there was a sexual attraction to his mother with also the resentment and wanting to kill her. Mm. And that's the same with Kemper. Like, I'm going to look into Ed Kemper too, but like that was his link was this love-hate thing, which is also too, is that's when you look at like the GOP, like let's say, you know, the senator who is so homophobic, but who's Mm -hmm. also gay, you know, it's that hating your, it answers a lot of questions to things that we have in society that we really need to fund mental health resources. You know, we're backseat therapists right now, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sort of thinking of uh, the washing of the genitals, like, yeah, and really this fixation of the cleansing was his fixation of being caught. Like, yes, he knows he's dirty. He knows what he's doing is wrong. And that is something that like isn't going to change. The thing that he can change is this like ritualistic act of being caught or even like stopping the person who's catching. I mean, that's the vibe I'm getting from this guy is like, I'm going to sort of commit this act with this person and then stop them from catching me. Oh, yeah. And he's real meticulous with preventing getting caught. He changed his tires. So the tire treads wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he went above and beyond. And actually, that's a good segue to what I'm about to say. We have briefly touched uh, in the past about lead exposure from battery manufacturing. And another interesting note, quote, in addition to taking precautions like wearing gloves, he added some incredibly devious tactics to his arsenal. One of his victims, Maria Malvar, left some scratches on his arm. Okay. Well, he, quote, spilled battery acid over the wounds to hide what they really were, end quote. So this guy is just dumping battery acid on his arm. That's a cleanse. Other, uh, pff, cleanse it, yeah. It's, yeah. It, God, the, that, that link we're going to have to talk about a lot more, especially, you know, linking it to the cult of corporation. But mm-hmm. he, um, he would also then go to the Kenworth plant and file a workman's comp. If he had injuries, he would say they're work-related, and then he'd have the paper trail of this happened at work. He literally said this was his career was wow. killing. And he believed that these people like and a lot of them do, especially the serial ones. They believe that these are people that need to be they're doing a benefit to society. It's like what you said, like this is for the greater good. I'm helping you guys. As we have mentioned, without proper testing, all we can really do is speculate when it comes to the links of lead poisoning and serial killers such as Gary Ridgway. However, the research shows the links between mental decline and crime with those exposed to lead and have lead poisoning. And as we have shown, Ridgway had an ample amount of lead exposure throughout his life. Before we end, I have to note that while I was doing research, I couldn't help but notice a picture of Gary Ridgway in one of the articles. So just going to share my screen here real quick. Yeah, this article by The Grunge, which will be in our sources, definitely we're looking at. Also, his hair here is just, (laughs) if there's ever a a picture of him, like, you know, people show his mug shots from like the 70s. It's like, no, go with this one. Here it is. What does his hat have on it, Paul? Oh, yeah. Yeah, gold dot ammunition. Wait, what does it say? I don't know what the top of it says. Well, I have it in our links. (laughs) Speed gold dot ammunition. Wow. Spear dot. Spear, okay. Going to gold dot's website, 
this gold, I mean, sorry, it's Spears website and gold dot is a specific bullet. And under features, the first thing is it begins with an alloyed lead core. And we have already talked about the risk of lead exposure from ammunition. I'm going to speculate that he spent some time at firing ranges if he's wearing a hat like this. It seems like a fair speculation in my view. And he's wearing a hat of a specifically leaded ammunition. Yes. I mean, <laughs> specifically like that's lead what it's, core ammunition. That's its, selling, that's its selling point. Yeah. No, nope, right we got plenty of lead. lead. Yeah. Right there. It's right there. So I didn't see anything related to whether or not he had a love of guns as well. Just have to speculate if he's wearing a hat like that. You know, it's like I've said, like there's certain times where like certain things just fall into my lap, like that Rome, Georgia. Oh, yeah. Article. This to me was like a, hey guys, <laughs> you know, as far as a link that I'm scrolling through and then that's the hat he's wearing. I'd also like to note that that hat looks really new and this yeah. is after he was caught. Weird. Yeah. Also very, very weird. That's not like his old trucker hat. That is a brand new looking hat. And this is after he was caught. Wow. I don't even know how to read all of that. I know. How, like, how did he get a hat? I know. He seems sort of like uh, civilian-ish, like just day in the life of Gary Ridgway. Like it didn't seem like he was out on parole or. Oh yeah, when he yeah when he was supposed take to someone out to look at a scene and tell them like where the bodies are. I don't know what that's called. Mm-hmm. I gotta scroll down because there has to be a contact. Like I want to know about us. Here we go. I just want to know where they're located. Oh, Spear, Idaho. Okay. This was after he was caught, and apparently mm-hmm. he's in custody at the time mm-hmm. it's like, that was okay. him like helping the authorities in the car so someone said here put this on he puts on some jeans and a shirt and like a sweatshirt and they gave him a hat <laughs> or like yeah like who gifted him that hat or did he pick up this hat before he left like i said i see it as a link though that I, i'm not saying it's not a link it's, it's frequented yeah. Some, like, I want to know, like, because we've said your increased exposure from frequenting fire ranges. And even if he wasn't, this wasn't his hat, I still think that says a lot about the community he was a part of, where they're like, yes, okay, here's some clothes that we have. One of them is super leaded bullets. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Just for the record, the word is Blutschatten. Um, Blutschatten? And it's by Christina von Braun. Would love to look into that more. Points out the history of this weird, uh, well, that link, I mean, anti Semitic, proto fascist story type. Yeah, but the link his mom cleansing his genitals, Mm -hmm. him quote, cleansing these women by murdering them. Yeah, there's nothing to say that he was religious, but he's seen it as a sinful act, just using sinful because it's the most, you know comes to the, my mind the quickest, but there's definitely that connection of that. Yeah. Clearly apathy. Clearly, I, we have the link of the lower IQ. We have the link of the rise in crime. His entire life, there is links to increased exposure to lead from where he's living to what his father did for a living, to what he did for a living, to going to the Navy, to speculating with the hat, with the ammunition to dumping battery acid on his body with exposed wounds. 
obviously there's more that we could look into Gary Ridgeway, but like I said, a lot of the articles are very limited to A, his childhood, and B, we can only know what his view is or his family's view, because his family still has contact with him too. Like they still visit, things like that. The other thing too is when he was getting tried, one of the victim's fathers, I think it was, was like saying how, you know, he he's a Christian man and he forgives him. And Ridgeway like begins bawling, like uncontrollable sobbing, <clears throat> which is just so interesting. So it just shows like it's this, this split. And like I said, he, it's not like he was this lone guy who just sat eating cans of beans. Yeah. He, he had a family. He went to work every day. We have this weird idea of what it is to be, you know, a quote monster in society instead of seeing these as these like outliers of society. They're not. And how much we need to focus on funding mental health. Yeah. How would you tell someone like, I want to kill this animal? It's just well, too that's bad. the thing too is he was very, very secretive. Yeah, clearly. Like, you know, there's people who get caught because they break at the bar. Mm-hmm. This seems to not be an ego thing. You know, a lot of these people, it's their ego. Like Ted Bundy is a narcissist. And it's not saying that Ridgeway wasn't a narcissist in some way, but his last wife, I mean, because he was married at the time. And in the documentary on Tubi, it's like, she's just like, I mean, he treated her, she says, he treated her like, you know, anybody would want to be treated. She just couldn't believe that this was real because of how much he didn't, in her mind, fit the idea of what a serial killer is. I just want to live in a world where people can get help. Yes. That's, okay. That's a, yeah. Going back to the childhood, he stabbed that fucking child. Yeah. Whether it's lead exposure or whatever caused someone to behave like that, there mm-hmm. was some kind of cover up, even if it yes. was just internal. Mm-hmm. That what was the deal with the family, the six-year-old's family? That six-year-old did not get the help they needed. That six-year-old's family did not get the help they needed mm-hmm. because they still had the trauma of knowing that this stabber is just walking around. And ended up doing all of this. Now we know that, but it's like, yeah, yeah. Ah, and too bad. there's a lot of people that have, that's the other idea too, is this narcissist concept too, like, you know, on social media, you see the happy family and, you know, well, and if somebody comes forward, well, that can't be true. Look at this picture of you guys smiling. And that's what they go off of. And then you have Chris Watts. So uh, that pic, that picture of people smiling. Well, oh God, how could this have happened? It's not saying that this shit isn't going on behind closed doors, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's also something is the illusion. We have to start getting rid of those illusions too, of what a healthy functioning person, family, society, because like we've said, we're, we're ignoring these really, really, really big issues in our society, like clean water, clean air, housing, yeah, housing, yes, clean housing, all of it is being put to the side. And, and God, all this crime keeps happening. Yeah, well, I wonder why. Weird. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to United States of Lead, hosted by Andrea Elizabeth and Paul Kramer. Want to know more about this subject? Consider making a donation on Patreon, where you can unlock extended video episodes and bonus content like deep dives and exclusive interviews. Just a quick disclaimer, Andrea and Paul are not experts in lead poisoning, 
We do ask that you check our sources and read up a little bit more on your own. Thanks again for listening.